Welcome to Fringe Division. Weird is a matter of degrees. Hello and welcome to Fringe Division, a spoiler-free rewatch podcast of the hit TV show Fringe. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Martin. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 5, Power Hungry, which aired October 14th, 2008 in the US on Fox. Yes, it's three days after my birthday. Woo! It was written by Julia Cho and Jason Cahill, and directed by Christopher Massiano, who, incidentally, is a childhood friend of Jerry Seinfeld. And he won an Emmy for directing the West Wing episode 25, which was the last episode Aaron Sorkin wrote. And probably the best one. Yeah? Of the West Wing, not the one he wrote. No. But also, it's up there, which is saying something. Yes. Uh, why are we doing a West Wing podcast? Because... <laughs> There's no way we're going to beat the one for the people from the West Wing are doing. So, Martin, what did you think of episode five, Power Hungry? Which is an odd name. It was forgettable. Yes. Uh, if you listen to our first episode, um, which you should, because it was a good one and has Jimmy in it, you'll know <laughs> that my prediction for the show when I first watched it in 2008 was that it would be a procedural... Uh, drama in the style of the various CSIs with a bit of weird sheep thrown in to, uh, you know, make it interesting. And if this had been episode two, it would have met all of those expectations and I would have switched off only to tune in later when I ended up tuning in anyway, because that's pretty much how it played out. But yeah, didn't like this one. No, this was quite. This was quite dull, um, and the characters don't seem to be themselves. We're five episodes in. Wait, introduce the episode title again. Power hungry, aka Postman Pat loses his shit. Yes. <laughs> yes, tall bearded Postman Pat loses his shit. Okay, so we're going to go through the plot, Martin. Yes. Joseph Meagar, a shy delivery boy. Oh, he's a delivery boy. He's like Fry. Yes, exactly. Uh, who lives with his mother, arrives late for work and delivers a package to an office building when he comes across Bethany, a receptionist with whom he's infatuated. And this is supposed to be adorable. Hashtag me too. Well, it's actually not supposed to be adorable, I don't think, because he does get accused of stalking, and she does freak out when she finds out about it. I think it's supposed to be creepy. I did a podcast episode for So What's the Problem? Nice crossover synergy. Yes. Um, And we did St. Elmo's Fire from 1985, and there's a character in that played by Emilio Estevez, and his entire plot is him stalking someone. And going crazy when she doesn't, like, turn up for a party that he throws for her and stuff. And then he goes crazy and, like, um, drives out to uh, a skiing chalet where she is and demands that he that she sees him even though she's got a boyfriend. And all of this is played as romantic. A lot of those kind of old tropes 
were actually not great. No. Uh, we did get a couple of, like, sweeping aerial shots in this. Mm-hmm. They were quite... Like, we haven't had that before. They were filmed on helicopters. Yes, remember, remember those Back kids? when that actually took some effort. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and not just a drone. Uh, um, yeah. Have you seen that episode of Modern Family? It's like a really old episode where uh, the kids get a drone, but it's like, uh, hey, they've got one of those helicopters with a camera on. Yeah, no, I don't watch Modern Family. Oh, I didn't watch one Modern Family since it's now finished. It's um, better than you'd think. The- Okay. Maybe we'll do a uh, Modern Family rewatch podcast. No. He's seen it. He hasn't. Will they get along? Oh, there's 11 years of it. It's great. We'll be doing it forever. I could probably already tell you that I probably won't like it. I don't. I'm not modern comedy guy. Do you reckon you could um, just get a TV show picked up every, you know, like every year just by trying your luck and going, it's a sitcom about a family. <laughs> yes, but they're an uh, integrated family, so they're a modern family. That's how they did it. Um, right, so the song that Megar is listening to is Can't Fight This Feeling by Ario Speedwagon, which is the song that the band played at Live Aid in 1985. Fun facts, kids. I remember Live Aid. I actually watched Live Aid. Live. You don't want to know how old I was in 1985. No, I don't, because I don't care. Um, I can't even remember how old you are, Martin. No, nor me most days. Yeah, yeah, same here. I, I, I was saying I'm 43, but I actually wrote, I was writing it down, I wrote down 42. So, yeah, nah, can't remember. I think I'm 43. Yeah, I must be. I was born in 76, so I'll be 44 this year, in two weeks. So, well, out. In fact, since this is getting released in November, I'm 44. You poor thing. Your <laughs> life's just running away from you. It's just fleeting by, yeah. Right. Afterward, while in an elevator, Bethany notices Megar has pictures of her on his cell phone. Megar's angst then apparently causes the elevator to fall to the underground parking lot levels, killing all but Megar. Um... He is able to walk away unharmed, but is then startled as all the car alarms go off around him. That was a pretty good photo for a 2008 phone as well. Yeah, yeah, it was a crappy old phone, yeah. wasn't it? And it went straight to the image, you know, you didn't have to uh, pull it up or anything. <laughs> and you could tell who it was in yeah. the photo. Yeah, like when I had one yeah. of them, it was just pixels. It looked like a Game Boy camera. <laughs> so what did you think of this opening, this opening scene then? Like, from Megar waking up to him killing a bunch of people. I thought it was one of the strongest points of the episode. If not the strongest. It's all downhill from here. Yeah, it's all down elevator shaft from here. I quite liked, like, the explosion of, like, dust and dirt when the elevator hit the ground. It's just like... I liked how the bodies were conveniently not gross. Yes, and he woke up with his hand on um, Bethany's thigh. So, you know, that's just to add insult to injury for her there. Quite literal injury. Yes, quite literal injury. Olivia reveals to Charlie Francis about her encounter with her deceased lover, John Scott, which happened in the previous episode um, when he turns up in her kitchen. Uh, So Charlie actually does believe her that John was a traitor? Or did he believe all along and I just completely misread him in episode two? No, he was very defensive in episode two. Yes, so I think the writers are now settling on him being pretty much up for anything. Yes. Now, right, 
It would it would have been nice for him to tell us that, mm-hmm. like for him to have some sort of epiphany or something that maybe John Scott was a scumbag, and that would also help because now Charlie can get proven wrong because apparently John Scott isn't a scumbag. Um, but here we go. Uh, Olivia, Peter and Walter Bishop arrive at the scene of the um, elevator where they determine that the deceased were electrocuted before the impact and that the elevator did not fall but drove down. It just drove down. It peeped a horn on the way down. I think some episodes they have like really died in the wall paranormal tropes uh, like spontaneous human combustion or what have you and you're just like or like um you know telepathy or what have you and you're just like yeah that's what i expected out of this and some episodes they're just like man electrocutes people and he's angry writing tv's hard leave me alone (laughs) i know it's not very advanced is it uh Furthermore, Walter detects electromagnetic energy in the area. Uh, Meanwhile, Megar inadvertently causes a packaging machine to malfunction, severely injuring his boss right after Megar is fired. Oh, that was a bit gory. It was. I was just going to say that. Yeah, that was. I was was watching that bit and I was like, oh, I wonder how Martin was coping with that bit. (laughs) It was. uh, We watched this right after watching The Great, which is a comedic show about Catherine the Great Mm -hmm. where they were made to pluck eyeballs out of severed heads. Oh lovely. So it was it was a bit of a gore double bill. The wife was not best pleased before bed. Yeah. Well if neither of you can sort of deal with that sort of thing then I very strongly suggest against Lovecraft Lovecraft Country. Which is a shame because I quite like uh, some of HB Lovecraft short stories. Yeah. Although I can't decide if we're allowed to anymore. Meh. Like we want to like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've got a sort of love-hate relationship with Lovecraft Country <laughs> because the previous episodes, I won't spoil anything, but the previous episode that I saw at the time of recording this, I was sort of into it and then something really fucking ridiculous happened and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. And I was about to switch it off. And I just thought, no, I'll just, I'll just let it go. Just let it run its course. And then by the end of the episode, I kind of, I was into it. I liked it. But it's just, it's a really strange show. Yeah. Uh, right. Mika later reveals to his mother that some time ago, he answered a magazine advertisement promising to unlock hidden potential. And although he has no knowledge of what has been done to him, he believes that he has done, yeah, he believes that what he has done was a result of being experimented on. A further panic guard then causes his mother's pacemaker to fail, and she dies. And he didn't seem very upset about that. He didn't seem to give a fuck, did he? He just left. <laughs> He's just like, oh, pack a bag, get out of here. Oh, you didn't point out that there was an observer. Oh, yes, in fact, I, I, sh- I forgot to write that down, you're right. The observer was, he walked out of the lift before it crashed. That was lucky. So... It was very lucky. He as almost almost as though he knew it was going to happen, Martin. Ooh, do you think? Yes. Yeah, well, maybe from what we know from the observer so far. You know, we were talking about um, how sometimes you get plots where you sort of just need a bit of a distraction so you can tell an interesting character story about your leads. Mm-hmm. 
um, was out on this podcast. Can't remember. I think it was a conversation I was having with uh, a novelist. Um, well, that's not me. So you get some shows where you want to tell a story about your lead characters and you just need enough of a plot to get them to do their thing to hang it on. A really good example of this is the Doctor Who episode with Anthony Stewart Head, mm-hmm. where they bring back uh, a character from the 70s mm-hmm. and there's some aliens moustache twirling, but it's not really about that. It's about the character drama of uh, bringing... Sarah Jane. Yeah, bringing her back. And K-9. And K-9. Yes. And this episode is the opposite of that. There's no real thematic story between what's going on with Olivia and what's going on with Walter and Peter Mm -hmm. and what's going on with Megar. It's just, here's one story, here's Olivia's story, um, and I think Walter's in it too. (laughs) You know, it's not an entirely concise whole. You know, which is fine, and not episode, not every episode needs to be, and not every episode is going to mm-hmm. be, but uh, the glue holding this episode together isn't particularly strong, and considering we're not even half a dozen episodes into the season, you sort of expect it to be a bit more cohesive than that, especially considering that, unlike some shows, this... Uh, Fringe had a pretty good idea of what it was straight out of the gate. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you look at something like Dollhouse and it takes, you know, about half a season to actually go, oh, I'm this program. This is how it works. Yeah. You know, whereas Fringe, I'd say what I love about Fringe starts in the second season. Yeah. The first season is still quite cohesive. Yes. Uh, so for the show to sort of not really have anything, you know, like whereas before there was contrast between what was happening to Olivia with her experience with John Scott and what was happening to the people they were encountering who had, you know, weird mm-hmm. going on, that they, um, you know, to contrast between that, there's none of that here um, where... Last week we had the guy who was picking up uh, radio signals because of Walter's backstory. Yeah, you know, I'm not saying every episode, not every weird jeep needs to be caused by Walter or have a connection to Olivia, but you want at least those stories to thematically be on par with what your main character's a plot is going to be. Yeah, and. That- that is my point. Yes. No, I agree. I agree. Like, when TV, especially episodic TV, is working, that's what it does, and I don't feel this episode did. No, because they don't really seem to... They don't really seem to know where they're going. Or here's someone who can, like, do electromagnetic things, um, and he was experimented on. But why not say that it was Walter who did it, or it was Walter who pioneered the technology that this guy's using or something? You know, include Walter in some way, because Walter does fuck all in this episode. You know what actually would have worked, and this is going to be really controversial? Uh Instead of it being the forgettable I post ads in newspapers guy, it could have been massive dynamic. Yeah, who we don't see in this episode again. 
Nina Sharp's not nowhere to be seen. We are, su- we are such hypocrites after slating them for being in three episodes straight, being the same for doing exactly that. No, but... Th- no, it's not really hypocritical, because it, it wouldn't have bothered me if it was, like, one in, one out. Yeah. It's like, they're in the pilot, not in the second one, they're in the third one. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Spread the f- spread those three episodes out. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, you know, they would have been in this one, and it would have been, uh, you know, actually part of the plot, and then move... And not just by the numbers. Exactly. Yeah. I think we are being a bit harsh on this episode. I think it's... Like, there are worse episodes of TV out of there. Course. It's not a bad episode. Like, I didn't, you know, I, I felt bad for Mega. He was having a rough time of it. And, uh, you know, this episode's got pigeons in, which uh, I think carries it a lot further than a lot of episodes uh, would have done. Did, did, you mean, did you mean that pun? It's got pigeons in it, and you think it carries it. Yeah, but they're homing pigeons, not carrier pigeons. Oh, Jimmy. Oh, come on, Martin! Oh, God. This is a perfectly acceptable yeah, episode of TV. It, um, it might be an episode of TV that I would be more inclined to start looking at things on my phone during, but it's not actually bad. I'm sure there are worse episodes of Fringe we're going to get through, especially when we get to season four. Possibly, but I'm just sitting here sort of zoning out right now. I'm looking at my Blu-rays. I'm realising I've got Howard the Duck Blu-ray. Where the fuck did that come from? I don't know. eBay, isn't it? I don't know where I bought it, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, it probably was eBay. But um, yeah, it's, it's, I just think it's dull. I don't think it's anything interesting. But I did feel sorry for Migar. I did. Um, the team becomes aware that a human has the uncontrolled ability to affect electrical energy. Uh, made this way by Jacob Fisher. So, it's like Olivia says... Uh, you know, it wouldn't be strange or whatever if it wasn't or something. She says, I can't remember. And Charlie's just like, yeah. And it's like, wait a minute, so Charlie knows? Charlie knows everything now? Because he didn't? And I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not aware of what Charlie's role actually is and how he fits into everything other than he runs around with a gun with Olivia and follows her in a car. Oh, no, that's, that's what he does. That's it. That's, that's, that's his point. That's what Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh well, there's worse things to do, I suppose. Uh, Fisher is a rogue scientist wanted by Interpol. Oh, not a rogue scientist. So many of them about. Um, who experimented on humans by luring his victims through bogus ads. Even that's just fucking stupid, isn't it? It's just so easy and just so dull. So, basically, he charged people to let him zap them. Yes. I mean, that's probably a better plan than what his his actual evil plan was. Yeah. You know, if you've got people coming along, you've probably got a decent revenue stream there. You can do whatever you want if you just, you know, let that work. Maybe franchise mm. it. Uh, get other people doing it for you in different cities. You know, you just take a bit off the top and uh, pretty soon you'll be in a position to do, you know, what every, every, your evil scheme actually is without actually having to work for it. But no, <laughs> he just wants to make people into uh, electric weirdos and he's got no patience, so he's just screwed this guy up and 
hasn't made him more confident at all. Um, I, there have been times you wouldn't know it from talking to me, but there are times in my life where I wasn't the most confident person in the room. <laughs> but if you'd suggested, hey, would you like to be more confident? You know, I would probably have said yes. If you'd followed that up with, let me just electroshock you, I would probably have gone, whoa now. Whilst I appreciate the support, I'm not sure I follow how that's the most effective way to do it. And unless their response was, see, it's working already. <laughs> yeah. I would have been on to them. Yeah. But that just, I mean, the whole um, Jacob Fisher thing is just, this is why it should have been Walter. It would have been like two episodes in a row where it was Walter. And we would have whinged about that. But then this episode could have been moved up. Um, maybe not the John Scott stuff. But, you know, they could have done some moving about. What I don't understand is uh, why in the 90s there was always this push for TV shows to be made in a way that they could be shown out of order. Yeah. Like, uh, there was... People would complain that the X-Files or Farscape had been shown... Uh, by their local TV station, out of <clears> order. Um, someone wrote into points of view that um, Scully was uh, feeding her dog that had been eaten by an alligator two weeks ago. Um, and it never made any sense to me that uh, TV channels would want the ability to just show them out of order. It's like they come with labels, you know. It's not like, oh, no, I've knocked them all off the shelf and I don't know which order to show them in now. It's like... Never made any sense. That's for syndication in America, though. That whole idea was for that. So you could just sit down one afternoon and just put the TV on and a random episode of something will be on and you don't have to follow the plot. Yeah, but... Okay, fine. Olivia continues to encounter John Scott, who promises her that he does love her and he will prove it. Through him, Olivia realises that someone survived the elevator impact... Now aware of Megar's identity, they attempt to track him. However, Megar is captured by Fisher, who wishes to perform further tests on him. Walter finds Megar's Walkman. <laughs> Remember those? Uh, why, is, why does he have a Walkman in 2008? I think they were making a point that he was working a uh, low-paid job living with his mum and he was probably not particularly well off, which makes the uh, point that he was uh, spending out on electroshock yeah. therapy uh, a bit of an interesting yeah. choice he couldn't even afford the Zoom well at the time I actually bought um, these mp3 players that were like mm -hmm. 20 quid and they had like a little LCD screen like a you know a little pixely thing that just had the scrolling I've still got one of them <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd love to have a play with one of those for half an hour until yeah. I lost interest but um it was a really hit or miss as to whether it would let you pause a podcast uh, whilst you went to work because uh, you couldn't fast forward through it. You could just skip tracks. I know. And it'd last about six months to, if you were lucky, two years. But they'd always cost about 20 quid and the file size would double. So mm. for about the price of a first generation iPod, I you know had two years worth of these mp3 players which probably outlasted how long that iPod would have lasted 
Yeah. Because from what I recall, they weren't particularly uh, long-lasting. No, and also sometimes you would press pause on them, and then when you went back to it and you press play, it would just start at the beginning again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's that's not good. Apparently there are iPod enthusiasts who bought up a ton of them on eBay uh, once they were discontinued. All right. Because they never wanted to be without them, and for some reason don't like listening on phones. Yeah, I I'm I, I listen on my phone, but only because I don't want to carry more than one thing with me. I mean, I carry my phone, and I don't want to carry another like um, MP3 player with me. I do remember around the time of this episode, keeping it relevant, that uh, <laughs> the conversations about oh yeah, in the future you won't be carrying all the different devices on you. I like the different devices. They're all good at what they do. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just like, ah, fuck it, my phone's great. Walter uses a cassette tape to find a unique electromagnetic signature, then has homing pigeons. Okay, you happy, Martin? Yes. Homing pigeons guide Olivia, Peter, and Charlie to his location. I'm pretty sure the graphics for the cassette tape were Adobe Audition or its predecessor, Cool Edit Pro. I was just like, oh, I've seen that audio interface before. Right. Um, the, the music that they have for them following pigeons is very dramatic. Mm. Um, I just thought it was strange. I like the graphics of them following pigeons. Yeah. What, the, the dots, the red dots that they were for? Yeah. <laughs> I think that was much more accurate than you would get from GPS on pigeons. Yeah. Alerted by the FBI's arrival, Fisher attempts to leave with Megar, who escapes. After Fisher is apprehended, Megar attempts to flee, but he's also caught. Um, I like when he's running through, he's running away, and then all the, uh, I don't know what they are, all the, all the equipment starting up and everything, and it's all the engines are going, and you hear all the horns and all that. And but there, nothing's actually happening. You can c- clearly tell that it's just sound effects that have been put over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just run, running past them, and then they put sound effects over the top. But I quite like that. It's all right. Um, they send Megar to a hospital to be examined. Um, so I like that. I like the scene that the ambulance where. Although Megar lives, which again is unusual, um, he's not getting off like scot free, despite things being beyond his control. It's sort of left open as to whether or not you know what happens to him, mm-hmm. um, and he's not just getting sent home to his mother's rotting corpse. <laughs> Someone's gonna have to clean that up. Yeah, I know. I doubt the FBI would give a shit. Walter, who is showing some really good lucidity in this episode. Um, he realises that Olivia is seeing Scott and reveals that she's not hallucinating. Um, he theorises that when both minds were linked during Scott's coma in the pilot, a part of Scott's consciousness has embedded itself within hers. But she's picked up his catra. Yes. Later while driving home, she spots Scott again. She leads. He leads her to a basement where Scott has been running his own pattern-related investigations. Apparently... Um, Philip Broyles hands Olivia some of Scott's personal effects along with them. Among them she finds an engagement ring proving Scott's claim that he uh, loves her. I don't know why but apparently it does. It's a ring that says always on it so apparently that's proof. Um, So John Scott has been investigating pattern instances and maybe isn't a traitor? 
Hooray! I don't know what to think anymore, Martin! I am completely blank on where the whole John Scott I can't goes, remember, so mate. it's quite interesting to watch. Yeah. Um, although I can't say I'm overly taken by the Olivia seeing his ghost. It's just sort of like, okay. Yeah. But also dull. Yeah. I mentioned it earlier, but I just want to say this again. Peter looks terrible throughout this episode. And it's only mentioned at the start that he says he, lo- he, he says he's tired because he hasn't been sleeping. But he's getting progressive right progressively red-faced as the episode goes on so they're obviously planting something there and nobody else mentions that he's looking terrible but I do like that that they're clearly planting something there that there's something wrong with Peter I think they are mm. other, other than that um, uh, Joshua Jackson was just out in the piss the night before filming so do you have a Walter line of the week Martin because there weren't many I'm gonna go with when he got the uh, pigeons out the box. <laughs> right. Because he just seemed so happy with himself. Well, mine is also related to that, but it's when Astrid says, are you sure this is going to work? And Walter, with a massive grin on his face, just says, of course not. And the pigeons were supposed to be tracking down the weird magnetic stuff, mm-hmm. um, because that's not actually how homing pigeons work at all. No. Um, homing pigeons fly home (laughs) they get taken somewhere else and then they fly home that's how homing pigeons work that's i assume that's why they're called homing pigeons home homing pigeons yeah um i wasn't going to use that as my water line of the week because there isn't any really many um because you picked a whistle for fuck's sake so i was going to use an astrid line because it's very rare that she actually gets those but um (laughs) But when Walter says that he's going to miss the pigeons, saying that they're calling, he calls them majestic creatures, and Astrid just says they're rats with wings, you'll get over it. Um, I liked her delivery there. And that is the only time we see that she's clearly not happy with him for what he did to her. But the rest of the episode, we don't get that at all. No. Can I, can I just say... Um, of course you can. According to Fringe co-creator Roberto Orsi, series writers often approach episodes' fringe cases by coming up with an idea and then asking science consultants to justify it scientifically. <laughs> so rather than find out about science first, they just come up with an idea and ask the scientists if it would work. And the original idea for this episode was a computer virus that affects people. Right. Otherwise known as a virus, surely. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's just a virus. Um, and that would have been very sort of, you know, um, prevalent to today's 2020 life of shit. Um, so we already mentioned the Observer. He, he He's there. And he takes his hat off as well. So, you know, we see his majestic bald head. Um, the clue in the previous episode, The Arrival, which hints to Power Hungry, can be found on a telephone pole outside of the cafe where the Observer is eating. On the pole is a flyer which reads, Unlock Your Hidden Potential, which is the same ad that Joseph Megar responded to. See, that one actually works. Yes, that does. Right, and the glyphs, the glyphs between the adverts spell out this week, it's it's a hand, a hand, a frog, a leaf, and uh, an apple with embryos in it. But the hands, one hand is a uh, left hand, the one hand is a right hand. And they spell out search. Oh. 
Surge. Yes, S-U-R-G-E. So there we go. Uh, apparently, all the city skyline shots meant to establish the location of Worcester, Massachusetts, and in fact, of Hartford, Connecticut. So there. Yeah. So it's not it's not pronounced Worcester then. <laughs> Worcester sauce. My wife was all like, "How do you reckon they pronounce that then?" It's Worcester, is it not? I don't know. I've not been there. I think it is Worcester. Hey, if you uh, if you happen to live in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, and you know how it's pronounced, please email <laughs> us at weirdcheap at uh, biz. <laughs> Uh Martin. I both love and hate you. Um, <laughs> Much like my mother. Oh, and your wife. Right, so... <laughs> Sorry, too far. <laughs> right, so Martin, the next episode we're going to be talking about is episode six, and it's called The Cure. Ooh. Yes, The Cure. I have absolutely no idea what that is. But I'll read the first line of the of the short synopsis just so people know what's coming up. When a young woman explodes inside a diner, the team works to determine the cause. Um, so that will be next time on Fringe Division. We don't have a, a Twitter for this because I'm just using the same Twitter for all my podcasts. And that's at Drop the Pilot Pod. Uh, if you want to send us some feedback, contact at shifttobench.co.uk. Uh, on obviously shiftybench.co.uk is the website uh, where can people find you on the internet Martin I'm on twitter at thefaldor excellent uh, thank you all for listening and we'll both speak to you all next time goodbye <laughs>